and welcome to the Replatform podcast. We're now on episode 23. I'm joined as always by my uh, um, eager and enthusiastic co-host Paul Rogers. How are you doing this morning, mate? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, not bad. Uh, I, f- I feel like we're in Groundhog Day because every week at the moment is lock- lockdown week and, uh, and uh, talking about how everyone is coping physically and mentally. So are you staying happy and healthy, mate? Yeah, I'm starting to get used to it now. I've um, adapted, I think. And yeah, it's not too bad. What about you? I guess you work yeah. from home a lot anyway, don't you? Yeah, I've been institutionalised for years. So uh, <laughs> it's just the the, uh, the same old for me. Um, so yeah, we've got uh, another exciting episode this week. We're joined by our friends at Dot Digital. Uh, a lot of you uh, listening in will know uh, or have heard of Dot Digital. Some will have worked with them. But for those who haven't, they're a personalised digital marketing cloud platform. We're going to learn a bit more about them, what they do, and also get lots of good practice knowledge out of them. I'm going to drain them for industry information today. So we're joined by Gavin Lojani, who's the Head of Strategy and Insights. Uh, good morning, Gavin. How are you? Morning. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I was just sort of laughing away at you two and you know, your, your, your little banter there. You know, Paul, you're always enthusiastic, right? Yeah, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although he just sounded really unenthusiastic. <laughs> I just thought that. <laughs> I just thought that. Yeah, sorry. Maybe it was my question. <laughs> you just stitched him up live on the podcast, Gavin. Well I, I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm planned to do that for the rest of it. Excellent. Yeah. That's what we like to. Uh, what would be great is if you could um, give the listeners an intro to, to let's, let's do about who, who you are and what you do at DotMailer and what DotMailer is, how you position yourselves in the market. Oh, you made it. You made a faux pas there, uh, but don't worry. Everyone, everyone does that. It's dot digital. Um, so I, I've been that uh, at dot digital for. Um, well, I have to say dot digital now, but um, I've been there for uh, ten years, coming on to eleven years, and it's a it's an easy slip. I'll let you get away with it because we what were. Did I say? Dot, you said dot mailer. Oh God! You know what? It's ingrained for me from the early days. I it's fine. It it's fine. It's fine. I've I've worked there for for over ten years now, so I, I'm you know I'm I'm a dot mailer person really. But you know, uh, just over a year ago now, we changed our name to dot uh, digital. Yeah. Um, and it's probably a good thing that you you said it because you know everyone does know us as as dot mailer. Um, but we changed to dot digital because we do we do so much more than just email now. Yeah. Um, we're a we're an omni-channel automation platform, I guess. Um, so you know, not just uh, not just allowing our clients to to contact their um, their customers via email, but via a number of other channels as well. So SMS, there's retargeting in there, uh, WhatsApp, um, live chat, which is which is brilliant. Um, so just giving you a you know a fuller suite to uh, to contact your uh, your customers on. Cool. At least I didn't call you Mailchimp. That would have been really bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that would have been really bad yeah but um no well i'll, I'll take dot mailer but um maybe maybe drop a pound in the in the jar every time you say dot mailer uh excellent it's my swear jar there you go um yeah oh yeah and i forgot about about me and what <laughs> what it is i do um so yeah uh gavin lojny head of strategy and insight at dot uh, digital um Basically, uh, me and my team, we, we, um, we work and um, have uh, do workshops with, with clients on a number of different um, sort of subjects, you know, looking at their data, auditing that data, um, looking at automations and um, how best to, to, to make that uh, have the biggest impact for you um, and sort of process change as well. So one of the, the biggest things is, you know, we'll have a client that either just joined us or has been with us for a little while. So they're, they're possibly getting a bit stagnant. So looking at uh, moving from one place to, to another um, and basically we, we kind of understand what, um, what we need to bridge the gap. Um, what tools we need to, to put into play, what processes we need to put into play and, and possibly any, any new data sets. So it's, um, it's a really interesting, uh, interesting role. We get to speak to a number of different clients and see a number of different use cases of not just our, our platform, but um, a number of other different tools as well. So yeah, really fun. Great. Um, so I'll start um, with the first question. And uh, this is one that I think is really interesting for a lot of people. So what do you consider to be like best practice around managing opt-ins as part of e-com? So kind of as people are going through the checkout um, in mm-hmm. particular, um, and how does that kind of align with best practice and what's legal when it comes to GDPR without obviously giving legal advice? Yeah. How long have we got into this before we mentioned GDPR? Uh, <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 well, I have to, I have to say straight, state straight away that I, I can't give legal advice. I'm not legally indemnified to do that. So everything I, I say is, is in terms of best practice. Um, and that's, that's really the way it should be. And that's, that's pretty much how I've seen it since I've worked in the industry. Um, is is if just to approach things from best practice and what's the best for for the end user then you should be on the on the right side of the of the law let's say um but it's it's all about um you know giving giving complete access to uh, to each individual when they sign up you know everyone needs to be informed so consent needs to be informed um and no matter where um you, you sort of you want to collect data along the process you need to be informed so letting people know exactly what you're you're going to use the the data for um obviously on the on you know the on the website use the the real estate you have there whether it's top of the page or or pop-ups do you guys love pop-ups is that a weird question no not really <laughs> it, 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 depends, it depends how they're used because i think i think pop-ups and overlays are very much maligned because there's so many crap ux patterns out there yeah done in a way that it's intuitive to the user journey and makes life easy for people instead of distracting them exactly i don't have i don't have a problem um, exactly i've seen some really good examples i mean there was there's an example i'm sort of using at the moment from pura vida um, and it's kind of like it uses a, a, a sort of a um, gamification almost on the on the the, uh, the pop-up. So as you click on it to sub submit your your details, it kind of spins, and you can either win a uh, a free bracelet or you get ten percent off when you first sign up. Um, so that's that's pretty cool, you know. It kind of draws people in, but it all the while you just have to make sure that consent is informed. So letting people know exactly you know what they're signing up for along the way. And it doesn't matter what stage of the journey that is, whether it's at the checkout, whether it's after they've, they've purchased something or right at the beginning when they meet, reach the website. It's just to let them know exactly what they're, <clears throat> they're signing up for, what they're, they're likely to get. So I think that's, that's, that's kind of the, the route you want to go down. And don't, don't um, sort of pull the wool over people's eyes. Don't start sending them, you know, bombarding them with a load of other stuff. If you've got a different brand or something, don't start sending them something from a different brand. You know, they want to know what they're signing up for. Be, be open, honest and transparent. Yeah, I think that I think that's a key thing, and I, I, it's always a, far, a, a tough one, isn't it? Because none of us can give legal advice if we're not legally qualified. But I think you just have to give people pointers, um, mm -hmm. and it is a challenge because not everyone does it the same way. And I guess that's down to their internal legal counsel advice I, yeah. interpretation. Yeah, that's that's inter that's that's definitely true. I mean, I I can I I've talked I've talked to uh, clients before about what you know um, best practice would state, but then internally legally. They have their teams that say, "No, I think we can we can do this," but that's that's up to them. You know, that's that's purely your call. Um, but then the other thing as well is is uh, I sound like I'm copying out with this, but you know, just have a look at um, what other what other companies are doing. Um, you know, if you like the look of what X company does, then run that past your legal team. If they're happy with that, then that's what you run with. Um, but just as I said, open, honest, and transparent. That's uh, that's surely a, a winner. Yeah, I think so. And I've seen some clients take very draconian measures where they've literally culled every single email address if they don't have a um, uh, an opt-in. Mm -hmm. They can't prove there's an opt-in, and they've lost like 80, 90 percent of their audience. But they've not yeah. gone back to them. So they've not they've not made any effort to say, look, you know, would you still like to receive our newsletters? If so, we need to get your permission to do so. Do they decided that they can't even do that? So I think there, there's. There needs to be some kind of sensible like middle ground so that you don't alienate customers who might still be interested in you. Yeah, you, you sort of leaning towards the, the legitimate interest there. Is that what you're... Um, I think it depends how, again, it comes down to the legal, it's your point entirely, legal counsellors. And I've worked with some companies where the legal counsellors, no, 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 no. And it's yeah. okay, well, we're shut down. And others who say, okay, you can't <clears throat> keep them in your database, but we can go to them from a customer service point of view to explain that, we're updating our database. Would mm -hmm. they still like to receive the information? If so, <clears throat> opt in now and we'll keep you on the database. If you don't want to hear from us, then that's fine. We'll remove you. Um, so I think there's different, different interpretations of, of what might be legitimate interest or what might be genuine customer service versus you know, um, non-consensual non market. Yeah. But I mean, be honest with yourself, right? If you can see, and we all have these tools within our platforms, you can see that someone isn't engaging, they're not opening messages, yeah. 
um, then, you know, for, for an extended period of time, you know, be that what it may, um, make an informed decision off the back of that. If someone isn't engaging with you, they're not opening, clicking, um, and you're still trying to um, push the agenda and send them out a message and say, hey, would you, would you like to hear about X, Y, and Z? I think I think it's gone. Opportunity's gone. So don't don't start you know hammering those people and then get upset when you lose that person because <laughs> you you didn't have them in the first place. Um, so you know be just be just be honest with yourself, I guess. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point actually. And the segmented approach to it is sensible, especially if you've got a database of hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of contacts. As people haven't even bother to click on anything for like three years you can pretty much guarantee they don't give a toss anyway yeah yeah I th- usually what, what i say to people is if you're losing someone after three um let's be let's be uh generous here three to six months then you really want to start thinking about um sort of the the, the life cycle of of that that contact and whether or not you need them i mean there's certain industries that you, you may look at it and think to yourself actually our window of opportunity is more like a year because it's more of a seasonal purchase they will buy this every year so then maybe you can be a little bit more lenient with it um but otherwise i think with with most purchases you've got to you've got to you know in around sort of three to six months so if you're not getting any engagement in the, in that sort of time you've got to really think about what it is you're actually sending to them um, is it right? Um, yeah. Are you know are they actually interested? Is it is it that they've only made one purchase in the last two years, um, and they gave you bad reviews? Then you could probably probably take the stab and think actually you know this person's not engaged. Need them on my database anymore? And are you are you seeing this because this whole thing about what's a legitimate opt-in, what is legitimate interest, what can I can I do? Are you seeing people rethinking their their, their CRM tactic and their engagement strategy off the back of this because they're having to think a bit smarter about what they do to keep people engaged? For for the for the most part, yes, we are we are seeing that, and that that would be that would be um, sort of advised really if someone isn't isn't rethinking their strategy based on how people are engaging with them, then you need to, to go back to the, to the board. Um, you know, there's, there's, there are companies out there who are, no, no, these people are on our database. We're still going to be sending to them. Um, and you know, regardless of the advice we give them, you're quickly going to run into trouble with deliverability as well. You know, um, ISPs are just looking for a chance to, 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 um, you know, uh, block you on certain levels yeah. if that's the way you're going to be sending. So I think, yeah, uh, for the most part, people are rethinking about uh, what they're sending, um, how often they're sending, um, and taking into account different um, different levels of uh, of engagement. I mean, it's it's difficult because you do have you know the the um, powers that be uh, sort of above you pushing and saying, no, this campaign needs to make X amount of money. Yeah. Um, but really, if you're neglecting the people on your database, the, the, and not treating them as individuals, and that's, that's probably the one mistake that a lot of companies make is they're not treating them as individuals. You know, there's someone on the opposite end of that screen um, and they've got interests and, uh, you know, they've, they've, they're either signed up for you for a reason or literally all they wanted to do is purchase that one thing because you had it on sale. So, you know, weigh up the data you've got and, you know, really understand exactly how you should be contacting individuals based on who they are, because uh, you do have that data. Um, so when it comes to uh, kind of different approaches in the checkout in particular, um, what impact do you see in terms of uh, subscriber rates? So obviously, um, if you go down the route um, with le- legitimate interest and you kind of opt everyone and you get 100%, but what impact do you see with the other approaches? <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, best practice again, best practice w- would suggest uh, you have a double opt-in. It's simple. Um, if yeah. someone's, if someone's signing up to receive emails from you, they'll, they should be happy to, to click a little link to confirm, uh, who they are. The, the flip side of that is, you know, a bot signing you up for everything or someone, someone signing you up for, for things that you don't want. Um, and then you know, the individual gets upset receiving uh, comms on something that they're really not not engaged with, um, and you guys adding extra cost onto your into your list, sending to people that aren't going to going to give you anything in the long run. So it it does seem it does seem um, you know uh, painful that you're sort of culling your database almost by adding in this this additional step 
to, to double up people in. But in the long run, it does give you back a, a more engaged database. Um, and you've got to think to yourself, is, is this all about list, in, uh, list envy? You know, would you rather have a, a huge list of people, um, but no one's engaged and no one's going to purchase or you want people that are highly informed, they really understand what it is you're sending out. Um, they're engaged um, and they're definitely up uh, up to up to date on what you're sending out and they're gonna they're gonna make purchases because because they actually want to hear from you. That's that's a weird concept, isn't it? Um, question on that. So I guess if you go down that approach and you have and you go with the double opt-in, mm -hmm. do you have any like rough idea of how that would impact subscriber rates versus um, opting in through the checkout process? Um, well, uh, oh, opting in through the checkout process. Um, well, you can, I guess, I guess there's, a, there's a, a call for legitimate interest through the checkout process. If someone's purchased something from you, um, in that respect, they're, I guess they're, they're interested in what you're sending. So you could, in theory, um, send them out comms, um, based lightly on, on, on uh, what you're sending and not send them to too much uh, sort of uh, heavy content or bombard them with, uh, with, um, with um, loads of different types of email. Maybe at that point is where you need to throw in a preference center and say, you know, tell us what, uh, what you'd like to, to receive. Because I guess legitimate interest would, would say um, that, you know, if you've purchased something from me, you, you are interested in what I'm sending. Um, in, terms of, in terms of numbers um, that you're going to be sort of signing up, on double opt-in and then versus the checkout um it's 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 you, well if you're going to just opt in someone because they've checked out well then that's almost 100 percent right um but if it's a double opt-in again i think people are are um aware now of of what's going on um so they'll be they'll be willing to to click on that link so i couldn't give you exact figures um there but i think yeah i think you're looking at probably a, a, around about a 70 to 80% um, sort of sign up rate off the back of a, of a double opt-in. That makes sense. Um, I think that, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, James, you had a question around customer data migration. Yeah, I'll just, so I just think that's quite an interesting point about the, the double opt-in and stuff because mm. so many different approaches that people are taking to try and tap into legitimate interest where they possibly can. Yeah. Um, so yeah, an interesting one. I haven't even thought about uh, that. I, um, the reason, so I said to James the other day, um, I've never really looked into this too much. Um, and then I had three conversations with three different clients um, mm -hmm. over the course of a week. And one client um, was really kind of conservative with um, opting in through the checkout process. And they basically, their subscriber rates dropped to 30%. Um, right. Another one uh, went with opting out and they were at about um, 65, 70%. And then another one <clears> claimed legitimate interest and obviously had 100%. It was just quite interesting. All of them were quite um, CRM led businesses. And it's quite yeah. interesting to see the impact with, of such a small thing. Well, it's, what, what I would look at there is well, what is the, what's the trade off for the customer at any stage, wherever you're going to sign them up, what's the trade off, the, the value exchange? The value data exchange so yes we want your data we want to sign you up um but what are you going to get in return and i think that's that's the that's the, the point that everyone's sort of missing here is whether it's um and it's kind of cloudy on whether or not you should be incentivizing people with a discount um but um but if if you're going to give them something in return that's what the hook is so it doesn't have to be a discount right it could be, you know, we're going to give you some really great exclusive content and that's why you'd sign up. Or um, actually, we've, we've worked really hard on, on, you know, the topics that we cover. Um, and there's, yeah, there's going to be some, some, some stuff in here that you're going to be really interested in. And that's why you would want to sign up. So I think that's, that's another point um, that people sort of miss is, yeah, um, you know, you might get a lower sign up rate from, um, from trying to opt up people in after the purchase or um you know using legitimate interest etc but what's the trade-off you know am i going to want to stay subscribed uh, or um is is what you're sending out um complete rubbish so i wouldn't be in, in um invested in it anyway yeah i think that's that that is a good point the the obsession of 
quantity versus quality and I think that's that's been a, a a curse and it's been very easy to fall into just mass marketing sending out loads of stuff because hey look we've got the revenue targets even if actually some of our our meaningful metrics are really really poor because our click to open rates or whatever might be crap because we're yeah. so interested but yeah we've got um let's pause that one because we've got a couple of questions you want to come back to later if that's right around things like how this might be influencing people around life cycle marketing and better targeting but the okay. one that I, I definitely would like to ask you before i forget because i have no short-term memory um, <laughs> is um data migration so so we talk a lot on this podcast about um, replatforming and platform migrations. Yeah. And one thing that always comes up in the projects me and Paul work on is like, oh, bugger, we've got to migrate customer data. And that's often a headache. What, what are your tips and advice to e-commerce teams? What do they need to think about when they're migrating um, customer data into a new platform, whether that's a platform exactly like uh, .digital or it's you know, uh, any, another ECRM, whatever it might be. What, what are the things people need to think about? What sort of data do they need to be migrating and how? Yeah, um, I think I think this is this is uh, an interesting one because sometimes, you know, you're, you're too sort of um, uh, too close to these things and you, you do you do miss it. So you, you have to step back from it all and try to figure out what it is you're going to be sending out. Um, I mean, lifecycle marketing is is a great way of, of giving you uh, insight as to what data you need. And I love getting involved in these data bits and pieces because um, um, <laughs> I did a talk not too long ago called Data is Sexy. Um, and it makes me sound like a real loser, but I really love, I really love data, you know, understanding what you can do with it. So you need to take a step back, have a look at um, what it is you're trying to to do, what you, what you want to be sending out to people. Um, and uh, what you're going to display in in campaigns and then figure out what pieces of data you need um you know if you're in the e-commerce world obviously you're going to want all of your purchase history um available whether it's in um a platform like a dot digital engagement cloud or or it, it sits elsewhere but just think about how it flows between the the two the two platforms um so yeah you, it's, it's a real headache but it's, it's it's understanding exactly what you're trying to send out you know are you going to be big on um segmenting based on uh, things they've clicked on or things they've looked on on the website in which case you need to look at you know can you pick up um sort of um web insight data or as, as we call it web insight data you know what uh, what uh, people are looking at on the on the websites in order to give you a, an informed decision as, as to what you can uh, send out to them um do you do you need to to display different imagery in the in a campaign based on you know what they've looking what they're looking at what they've told you they want to look at what they've purchased in the past um so it is is really it comes down to what is it you're trying to send out to people and what is it people have actually signed up for in the first place and do you have that data to execute that um it it, it kind of comes out to that um so having someone like um to 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 pick up myself having someone like myself come in and and actually externally um have have a look at this what i tend to do if i run any sessions with clients is really quiz them about you know what is it they're trying to achieve um whether it's in uh you know one to three months to to, to six to twelve months and then figure out um you know a uh, a migration plan or at least having all of the data up front um, that they need to, to, to power those campaigns. That makes sense. Um, question on that. So, I, mm -hmm. or not question, I guess, just in terms of like practical advice. So you guys um, do a lot with Magento and uh, yeah. there's currently a lot of M1 to M2 migrations happening at the moment. Yeah. Um, as part of that kind of data migration piece, would you usually recommend like keeping the product IDs the same so that you can retain all of that kind of web insights data and um, makes the integration a bit easier? Um, yeah, I mean, that would, that would be perfect if you, if you could do that. Um, you know, it just makes the, the transition um, sort of seamless. And I guess using, using ourselves, if you are on, on uh, Magento, moving from M1 to M2, um, it should be just, just pretty simple. Out of the box integration that we have, um, just makes that pretty painless. Um, but yeah, keeping, keeping as much as you can, the, the same from, uh, from your M1 instance to, to M2 is, 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 is definitely possible. I'd, I'm, I'm not sure why, um, why things would change, but uh, again, having, uh, having a, a chat with our, our teams internally can kind of figure out exactly, uh, what would be the, the best option for you and, um, what's going to cause you a lot of headache down the, down the line. 
that makes sense. I feel like um, when we've done CRM integrations in the past, when product IDs change, which seems to be like 50-50, depending on how it's approached, um, mm -hmm. it can make things a lot harder. Yeah. Um, yeah. When, when you've seen that, what, what, what's, what's the reasoning behind sort of changing the product IDs? I think it's just how the data migration is approached. Um, okay. And I guess it depends on different retailers and, and how agencies approach things as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, so product IDs can be kept the same, but it's, sometimes it's more complex um, dependent on how you're migrating the data. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah I'm a big difference. Yeah. Most of most of the, the the sort of transitions I've seen uh, from M1 to M2 have gone smoothly because of you know because we've known the 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 partner that um, that is that's doing the build. Yeah, um, we've been involved in it from uh, from start to finish, so we can we can make advises um, on that. Especially because we're we're ha if it's if it's Magenta, we we have pretty much all of your data sitting in your engagement card um, account. So um, you know we can we can make suggestions as to to what um, what needs to be kept the same or what could possibly change. Um, it's it's just always better being you know, completely um, open with um, any of your um, the tech partners that you're working with, just to make sure everyone's singing from the same hymn, hymn sheet. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess moving on from that slightly, so in terms of kind of integrations um, and beyond just the e-com platform, um, mm -hmm. what are some of the interesting things that some of your maybe like multi-channel uh, clients do around integrating with point-of-sale systems and ERPs and other systems generally? Um, I think that, that kind of comes down to um, uh, pushing in data from external sources. Um, there have been a lot of clients who want to use um, offline data so you can have that sort of 360 degree view of, of, a, of a contact. So e-receipts is, is probably one of those things that, um, that really sort of jumps out to me. Um, and it really does help. You know, you, you're, trying to, you're trying to build up a, a profile of, a, of an individual and you can get a really great profile online. Um, what I always call, you know, the, the digital body language, you know, things they've uh, clicked on, things they've purchased, all really good. You can really, um, really understand exactly what you need to send to individuals. But without having that piece offline as well, when they're purchasing in store, it really does make things difficult because you could see that, um, that someone is in inverted commas, you know, uh, not engaged but actually they're still purchasing offline. So if you can have that, that data pushing from an offline source, um, in-store e-receipts, then we can get that full makeup of someone, understand that maybe they're making more purchases offline um, and then drive them back to store or, or give them pointers on what they could be doing to, to pick up on exclusive content online or something. So yeah, picking up data sources from, from elsewhere um, and, and bringing them into, uh, into the platform is, uh, the sorts of things that um, you know really sort of uh, set people apart. Um, that and um, using um, you know additional pieces of of, uh, of um, technology like a, like a movable ink or something, um, and then pushing the boundaries on what um, what you do with that sort of stuff too to to really make your your campaigns uh, sort of pop. Um, it's 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 got we've got to a place now where some people are being very sort of. Um, um, uh, sort of lazy, I guess, with uh, the, the campaigns they create, and then not thinking about the end user and how sort of interested they are in in what it is you're actually sending out, um, or maybe thinking about the the subject line and how how engaging that is. So, it's um, it, it probably uh, you know probably goes down that that route root of um, how people are using uh, sort of like I guess fringe technology to help make um make anything you're sending out just work a little bit better and make it more engaging for, for the, the end user. That makes sense. Um, and then going back to replatforming slightly, or not necessarily going back to replatforming, but what are some of the uh, kind of complexities around managing multi-store setups? And so I guess like with a Magento, you've got kind of multiple stores within mm -hmm. a single instance. And then with some of the other platforms, you've got essentially completely independent um instances yeah um, yeah what are some of the complexities from a PRM <clears throat> perspective on that side um well th there are definitely complexities you've uh, you've, <laughs> you've definitely got that right um some of them play really nicely um others um you've got to know the, the sort of quirks um what's really nice with the way um i guess we're set up uh, at dot digital is that we have a really um really sort of uh, painless integration with magento 
And, you know, with Magenta, you, you can have multiple sort of storefronts and, and bits and pieces like that. And we've always had the ability to kind of have um, what we call child accounts. Um, so you have maybe your parent account, the main account can be connected to one, one storefront, but then you have um, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's a different brand, maybe it's a different, um, uh, different country you have a different storefront for. Um, so each of those um, storefronts can be connected to one of our uh, one of your separate child accounts, and that kind of manages things sort of beautifully. Then you know you keep data completely separate. Um, that is one thing that can be uh, really annoying um, is is having data sort of all muddled together in one account um, if you haven't got the right sort of data data points for it. Um, so child accounts keep things uh, really nice. Um, I guess the other thing that we have for, for everything else, I guess. Um, talking Shopify, big commerce, uh, maybe WooCommerce, Shopware, that, that, that sort of side of things. They don't all have the same, um, I, I, I guess, um, uh, point of, of, of um, setup that uh, Magento has. Um, so we've got um, something called Commerce Flow, which kind of um, helps to alienate the, or eliminate the, the, the issue that you have with multi-stores. Um, so you don't necessarily have child accounts, but it will allow you to, if you do have separate instances of any of those sort of aforementioned uh, platforms, it will allow you to, to bring data into your account and, and manage them all within, within one. Um, so the, the multi-store issue isn't so much of uh, an issue at all now with, um, with uh, Engagement Cloud and, and, and Commerce Flow and, and child accounts. So we actually make things a lot easier for people. Cool. Uh, I've got a question. So we, we touched on it a bit earlier, Gavin. It, it was around um, how people might be doing things uh, a little bit smarter or the opportunity to do things a bit smarter with like, automation and mm -hmm. trigger campaigns. What I'd really love to hear as well is, is what, what do you think is good practice around doing automation of um, like e-marketing campaigns? What types of triggers, are, whether it's behavioral or transactional triggers, are people tapping into to, to get good results from an e-commerce point of view yeah yeah i mean this is this is an interesting one because it's either a case of you you've done some automation before and you're kind of looking at um refreshing some of those i mean it's 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 definitely a, a thing that i do with, with clients is i look at um we do automation workshops and we kind of sit back and and look at anything that you might have um had set up already um refresh those or go right back to basics and you know anything that you need to set up from scratch so i think we mentioned earlier like a like a welcome program um that is that is an, an essential um if um you know we were talking about sort of gdpr getting people signed up in the first place um welcome programs are going to go a long way for you um you know um letting people know a little bit more about you understanding more about them and then sort of driving them down the the, the funnel towards a towards a purchase so Welcome programs are, are going to be going to be great for you. Um, uh, abandoned basket, abandoned browse. Those types of programs are, are sort of they're, they're worth their weight in gold. I mean, they're the, sort of the biggest yielding um, uh, automated programs that you, you can have. Um, and then looking at things like um, replenishment or reactivation, or my um, my uh, personal favourite at the moment is a post purchase program. Um, you wouldn't believe how many people sort of neglect um, their customers after they purchase. Um, so that's that's definitely something to look at. Oh, um, that, that's the one that, that I'd really be keen to drill a bit down because yeah, it, I say this to lots of people is the the journey begins at the purchase. It's not the end. And so yeah. many people do it like, great, you've bought. Now you're onto our regular weekly newsletter. It's like, oh, yawn, come on. So what, <laughs> what, what, what are you seeing? What 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 does good look like? And what are some of the interesting things that that, that you've seen people do? Um, well, I, th I think it, it's it's is right across the board. I mean, you you really have to think about. Um, where people are after they've purchased, they've they're, they're happy. They're on a high. Um, so you definitely want to get some some feedback from them. Understand um, whether or not you've done a good job. Um, but you need to be smart about that when you're sending out that campaign. You know, look at um, look at your delivery times. Uh, leave enough time for them to to have that product, um, wear it, use it, whatever it is, and then get uh, sort of feedback from them. Um, I've seen a campaign lately um, from Bellroy, which which does this kind of this really nicely. Um, I wouldn't often say you know fuse three different types of things into one campaign, but 
it, they get feedback after 30 days of you purchasing, um, whether you're likely to recommend this to someone or not. Um, they then ask you to kind of share this socially. Um, so that's that's great, sort of pushing you into different channels, um, engaging with them on those. Um, and then after all of that, there's an option there to, you know, let's look at the rest of the family, um, what else you could be purchasing. So there's 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 definitely um, those sorts of options. Um, I think I think it's it's just really weird that people aren't um, sort of following up and and doing a good job of that because it it takes so long to get a, a customer initially, um, you know, and it, it costs a lot for you to acquire a customer. Why wouldn't you go that extra mile just to to, to keep them? Um, so I think that's that's the sort of thing I, I'm looking for is you know um, talking to people about what what they've purchased um get that good feedback but also change um change the comms that you you, you send out after they've purchased you know straight away you don't want to be sending um sending them stuff about um maybe discounted products um especially if it's discounted on what they've just purchased but also just take a step back you know maybe look at some uh, some other types of of comms um to to send out to them you know people hate marketing um so it's something to bear in mind marketing is, is isn't useful to people what's useful to people is is stuff that they want to want to hear about so maybe use this time to update their preferences or update your um your data set on them because of what they've purchased and what they're looking at um maybe send them some uh, some sort of engaging content uh, as opposed to more salesy stuff um you know, uh, maybe give them some advice on how to use what they've just purchased, how to wear what they've just purchased. Um, that sort of stuff is is really useful. Um, and then you know, gradually build them back up to, uh, again to the to the next step, uh, next sale, um, using sort of product recommendations and and whatnot. Um, but yeah, it, I think it's 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 more about just understanding you've just purchased. If someone was in one of your stores, you wouldn't bombard them with. Um, other bits and pieces to buy as they're walking out the store you, you'd say you know thanks for thanks for purchasing um i hope you come again yeah i think that's a really nice point actually about using your content and your service messaging and not just seeing it is just hit them with you bought a t-shirt hey here's another 17 t-shirts you might also like to consider um yeah. i'd be i'd be keen to explore a bit more because life cycle marketing uh, for want of a better terminology i think is something that is underutilized by many businesses you've alluded to so everyone seems, seems to be treated the same rather than understanding that that actually the next stages in their path can vary depending on the type of product they bought or even the price range of products or the you know the mm -hmm. amount of items they've bought in one single purchase somebody's just spent 200 pounds on clothes versus 20 pounds perhaps they're in a different cycle because they're not going to buy necessarily again in the next couple of weeks yeah There's so many different different potential contingencies of what might indicate the next electrical path. How, yeah. uh, the big challenge for me is it, when you start talking to people about it, or when I start talking to about it, you can see people glaze over because they suddenly think this is so complicated, I can't start. How yeah. do you help people unpick it and say, right, think simply and start doing simple things for lifecycle marketing? Um, it's, I mean, lifecycle marketing is, it, it, to me, it's, it's simple. Um, it's just understanding the journey that, um, that you want to take people on. Or the natural journey that people are going on. Um, so once they've um, once they've purchased, what is it the next thing that you want to do? It's not <laughs> hold back on yourself. It's not that you want to sell them something. It's that you you want to make sure you keep that sort of bias high going. Um, so it all comes back to the data, as you, you sort of were alluding to, is understanding where these people fit in. And we have um, you know RFN modeling that will really help you with that. Um, recency, um, um, <laughs> recency, frequency, monetary, almost forgot it there. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, use, use those, um, use those data uh, pieces to, to understand where someone is. So if someone's, um, purchased recently, then, you know, look at, look at what they've purchased and, and send them sort of engaging content, uh, in and around that. Um, if they haven't purchased uh, in in a long time, well, that's that gives you the opportunity to to send them out um, comms about actually buying something. But use the data that you have so that you're sending them relevant um, relevant information. You know, um, you know, product recommendations, as I said. 
Um, but all the while, you're kind of you're kind of setting out um, setting out your um, um, your different um, automated programs according to where they are in the cycle. Um, so it's 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 pretty simple, you know. You've either purchased recently, um, and um, you uh, you don't need to get sort of sales emails um, or, or comms anymore. Uh, you haven't purchased recently. Uh, which means that we should get you back into the buying cycle. Um, but then let's look at what type of um, purchaser you are. Ah, you spent a lot um, in your last purchase. Um, maybe they they high tickets or individual um, individual individual purchases, and that then gives you the opportunity to to send that that sort of relevant um, relevant information. Um, and then if if they are purchasing frequently, well then you know you start to understand what it is they're they're purchasing. Um, and give them um, sort of alternatives, um, give them um, sort of the new things that are, are coming out. Um, maybe maybe use that um, that person because they are a frequent purchaser to to understand more about them, um, ask them what they would want to see, uh, and maybe use them as a, some sort of brand advocate. So it, there, there are a, a number of um, sort of automated messages you send. It's all about sort of stepping back from from um, uh, from it all looking at the journey that you want to take people on and then using the data pieces to sort of drop them into to those uh those relevant um relevant messages and, and, and hopefully keep them happy i guess yeah i think that had some really good points in there um final question for me so mm -hmm. where do you see ecrm heading and what are some of the key trends for 2020 and then also um who are some of the kind of brands and retailers that you think are really kind of setting the pace and and kind of leading things um oof, loaded question thank you paul um there, there's there's a lot in there uh, for 2020 is a bit of a difficult one uh, this year this year's uh it's thrown a few curveballs at you us, can right? include some of 2021. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we'll look, look forward towards that. I mean, I guess let's, let's kind of go full circle. We started off talking about um, um, sort of legality and, and bits and pieces with uh, GDPR. I think what we're going to be leading towards and um, <laughs> not everyone, not, not, uh, no one really knows exactly where we're going to land with this, but with uh, e-privacy, um, you know, we're going to have to be uh, even more open, honest and transparent with people and possibly let them know that we're going to be, be tracking them. So it's not only about, um, you know, getting consent from people to, to send out comms, marketing comms. It's also going to be a, a job of yours now to let them know that you're going to be uh, tracking them and whether or, not they'd, whether or not they'd like to be tracked. So that's something to sort of bear in mind. Um, so that's that's one thing. Um, I think um, using multiple uh, channels to connect with people is going to be uh, it's going to be something that well, we've seen um, has has gotten bigger anyway. We've uh, we released our uh, our hitting the mark uh, document, which we do pretty much every year. Um, it's like a uh, a critique on a hundred uh, e-commerce brands. We buy something from each of them and really understand. Um, you know, what, what tips and tricks there are out at the, at the moment. But we're seeing now more and more brands are sort of branching out into this, this omni-channel approach, having more, more channels to connect with, your, with your, your customers on. And again, in this current market, I think even more now than ever, it's going to be important for you to understand what channels to connect with people on. You know, you're not necessarily going to have that, that, that offline um, sort of connection at the moment. Um, so just thinking about is, is email going to be the only source you need to connect with them on? Probably not. Um, you know, looking towards SMS live chat is, is something that is, is, is huge for us now. Um, you know, you can get live chat on, on, um, engagement cloud, but also in the Magento store, I think it's one of the sort of number one, um, extensions that, that, uh, that people are sort of adding on, um, to, uh, uh, to their platforms is is live chat and that live chat is from us um, so it's 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 just showing that there's multiple channels you can be connecting on uh, with people on and I think the stat is something like uh, people spend 3.5 times more um, with a brand when they uh, they connect with you on, on multiple um, multiple channels so I think definitely making sure that you're available 
football on, on those channels is, is, is going to be huge. Um, and in terms of brands that um, I've seen do, uh, do really nice stuff, um, I, I don't want to single out too many people because uh, I don't want to upset anyone, but I, I'm a massive Patagonia fan. I think what they do is, is, is brilliant. Um, for a number of reasons, not necessarily because they do anything great in terms of collecting, uh, collecting data or at different stages or they have amazing uh, automation. But what I think is really great at the moment is they do a great job of, of, of building their brand and having a brand connection. So even when I'm not purchasing, there's a reason for me to actually be looking out for, um, for their emails. And I think that is, is something that um, brands need to be looking, uh, looking towards is that a sort of customer experience. Um, yeah, if you're getting a great customer experience from the, the brands that you're uh, engaging with, then that will help you in terms of, of um, staying engaged um, and then making a purchase at the end of it because there is something more there than just the product. There's so many uh, companies now that have similar types of products, but unless you've got some sort of brand story and a reason that I would connect with you, um, you know, sometimes um, the message gets muddled. You sometimes uh, fall short and don't actually make those purchases. So, I think I think it's those brands that have a great um, customer experience. Um, and I did see something actually from from F1. It's a little bit uh, slightly different from, I guess, um, pure play e-commerce. But um, F1 they made a, a change recently from treating uh, their subscribers as subscribers, but treating them more as fans. Um, and going the extra mile to understand more about them and send them more relevant content. Um, you know, to be honest, this is nothing new. It's always been about uh, making sure you send more relevant content, but you know, taking that um, the extra time to understand individuals and then send me exactly what I want because I'm, uh, you know, I'm following Lewis Hamilton uh, rather than you know, uh, any other driver. Um, so it's, it's, it's that sort of approach that I think, um, is going to be key to, to, uh, surviving past 2020 and moving into 2021, I guess. Uh, survival is the, is the mode of jour, right? Basically for everyone right now in so many different yeah, ways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think that's a really interesting point, actually. I think that's a really nice trend to pull out is that people who are thinking a bit differently about how they keep people interest i mean engagement is thrown around too much but people i think interested is is probably a better word yeah because uh, sales stuff it, I, I it's anathema to me i get so many hundreds of emails um from people talk to me from emails i subscribe because i want to see what brands are doing mm -hmm. but it's a lot of the time it's the unusual stuff that i like the value add things and a charity some charities i think do a really nice job here like uh, charities like rspb where they keep you informed based on the um the the local sites that you're most interested in yeah um, keeping you updated with new things that are happening there so the content although the template might be identical the content is more contextually relevant to you and it's based on the interest that you've expressed rather than just hey here's our here's our monthly newsletter because we have to put one together yeah yeah i, I love stuff like that and i've seen some um not not me personally but my, my girlfriend gets these emails um and um, there, there's a lot of replenishment um, stuff that goes on in there, but it's done really smartly. It's like, um, we've noticed that you purchased this and it's been a little while and since you repurchased, um, you know, would you like to buy again? If not, they give you different options as to like one, two, three weeks later for us to remind you. That stuff's really nice. Um, or a little link in the box of the campaign which says look we've basically got your whole purchase history here you can view that in your online account um and you can repurchase again those those little things just kind of making it easier for me and that's 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 what i was talking about marketing marketing is is in the consumer's eyes just dross you know just sending me uh, content for the sake of it um whereas you know they don't see it as marketing when it's useful and those types of campaigns are you know they're worth the weight in gold and it's just it's just using the data that you have um and sending it a timely fashion um and you'll 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 get some you'll get some real good engage engagement or as you said interest from people when that will turn into into purchases yeah i really like that that i think that's quite a nice kind of um closing point actually is around 
helping people and being useful and sometimes it's reminding them of things not having to continuously sell and some of the b2b brands um do this really well brands like sage with complex products like accounting where when people are on trials or on subscriptions then there is activation stuff which is like did you know here's a helpful video um and also linking it back into usage where you have product usage data at individual yeah. level you can customize it say okay well you haven't used this feature yet yeah like, there's a thousand people who haven't used this feature in the first three months. Let's tell them about that feature and what the benefits are. And here's a, here's a, a helpful video we've got from a product expert. So there's nice ways that you can, you can use like, yeah, useful information you've already got uh, alongside your course selling strategy. So yeah, it's a nice point. Yeah. Um, that's really, that's been really, really useful. Um, Paul, uh, did you have any more questions? I don't think so. I think, yeah, some really good um, topics covered there. Um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, really good episode, to be honest. Yeah, so uh, Gavin, first of all, a massive thank you for taking the time uh, to come on and share your insights with our listeners. No worries. Um, and then I guess some closing remarks is, for anyone who's listening, um, thank you as, as always for, for listening. But the second thing would be, uh, Gavin, uh, if they wanted to get more info you referenced uh, hitting the mark report could you just get a bit of clarification or, or share some um info on where people can access like wider reading from you from dot digital yeah sure we've got a a, a whole heap of uh, content on our website so if you go to our, our website dot uh, digital.com um under under learning um you'll see a whole of a whole bunch of bits and pieces on there we've got a, a blog which is constantly updating um, loads of resources on there, but also you can you can click on hitting the mark and download that as well. Um, as I said, it's a it's a hundred uh, retail brands. We choose them completely at random. None of those are our, our actual customers, and we we critique them. We've got a, a sort of a set of um, scoring methods on there, um, understanding if uh, if they they do good stuff in terms of uh, you know best practice emails um, using data to segment and whatnot. Um, whether the UX is great and that's not just UX on the emails, UX on a website um, and looking into after sales and um, alternative payment methods and all sorts of bits and pieces, but then also looking at um, different channels and whether they're using different channels and, and we score people and uh, the winner this year was uh, matches fashion. Um, so we do a bit of a critique on matches fashion as, as to what, uh, what they did that was uh, really amazing. But um, cool. there's a couple of sort of young brands on there as well, like uh, Gymshark and Boohoo, which uh, are really making strides. So I think, uh, yeah, that's, that's a, it's an interesting report. Good read. Excellent. And if anyone wants to reach out to you directly, what's the best way um, to do that? Um, you can you can reach out to me. I'm I'm on on LinkedIn. Gavin Lojani. You can get me there uh, if you want. Uh, it doesn't seem like a, a, a an often used method, but Twitter I'm on the Twitter as well at Gavi Gav. Um, but yeah, feel free to to drop me uh, drop me a line um, anywhere. Um, yeah, me me and my team we 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 help. We specialize in sort of. Um, um, in giving consultancy, I guess, um, and pointers on. Uh, on what you should or shouldn't be doing in terms of your your particular setup, whether that's B two B, B two C, or or not for profit. So uh, yeah, happy to happy to have people reach out to me. Brilliant. Um, yeah, thanks again. I hope everyone's found this uh, useful uh, uh, listening. Some great uh, advice and tips in there. And as always, feel free to reach out to myself and Paul directly through social as well. 